Um, today is uh, a, a, I think it's the 17th presentation in Discovering Revelation. We've been having a lot of fun going through this whole series of, in Revelation, and, and prayer is definitely a part of the subject of Revelation because the big ideas in Revelation are about worship, and, and uh, prayer is, uh, some people say, it's like the breath of our spiritual life. If we stop praying, our spiritual life stops living. <laughs> um, so, with that, let's begin with a prayer. Father in heaven, we just ask for your presence to be with us, and we ask that you would give us understanding from your word. Lord, many of our prayers, we feel like just hit the ceiling, and, and it's almost like you don't listen, you don't pay attention. And Lord, we don't want that experience. We want to have a vibrant, living um, a prayer life. We want to be able to speak to you and know that you've heard. And we also, we want to hear you respond. We want to know what your will is and what your plan is for our lives. And so we pray that you would guide us as we study this important subject. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The world was involved in one of the biggest wars that had ever been. And eight men were flying a U.S. Air Force plane over the Pacific Ocean. Everything went completely wrong that day, and they had to lay that huge plane down in the sea. They had run out of gas, and there was nothing for them to do. So the eight men landed <clears throat> roughly in the waters of the Pacific Ocean, and all that they could do was really, as they were coming down, hope that the waters would be calm, but, but when they, uh, when they got close, they saw that they were 10-foot waves. Everything was going wrong. They had very little clothing. Their only supplies that they were able to take off the sinking um, uh, plane were uh, a couple life rafts and uh, some fish hooks and a couple knives and eight oranges. That was it. The first night, they, they shook and trembled all night long, terribly cold, wet, and tired. They huddled together, crowded in these rubber rafts, and uh, it wasn't only just cold that made them shiver. They were also uh, being bumped and jostled by big sharks, which wasn't an exciting thought for them. The next morning, it was still cold, and they ate their first orange. They divided it into eight pieces, and each one ate a slice, peel and all. They saved an orange, so they, they would have, between the eight of them, one orange every other day. Later that first day, the sun came out, and they, what had started to be shivering turned into sunburns and exposure. So now during the day, they wished for the night, and during the night, they wished for the day. And, uh, well, they, they, were, they, they didn't have much drinking water to start with, and it fairly quickly ran out. And so they're they have very little to eat, very little to drink, and then pretty soon nothing. And, uh, and then there's this one boy, one boy that everybody called him the preacher, and he always had a pocket Bible on him. And they all laughed at him and jeered at him and, you know, made jokes and stuff. But now, when they're in this horrible distress, they turn to listen to this young man. And, uh, and this is what he, he said. He says, let's read something from the Bible. And he opened up to Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, and, and he read this to them. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, after reading these words, he invited them to pray, and these hardened men, most of whom had no religion in their lives at all, some of them agnostics and atheists, um, they, they joined in praying, and they asked God for simple things, food and water. And the answer they got was, well, nothing short of sensational. An enormous bird came down and sat on Eddie Rickenbacker um, on his head, and he lifted his hands slowly, and he grabbed its feet. And uh, they, they um, well, let's just say that they ate that bird raw. They used its intestines to, to, to have um, some bait, because they had the hooks, but they didn't have any bait, so they wouldn't, hadn't been any successful in finding any fish so far. Um, but they used the intestines for bait, and they caught some fish, and they, and they ate. Later that night, it started to rain. So they, they, they spread out their clothes to catch as much rain as they could, and then they wrung the, clo- the, the, the water out of their clothes into their mouths. And one, one of the guys later said it was the best-tasting water that he's ever had. It was the 13th day at 3 a.m. One of the men died, and they laid his body into a a watery grave. For 26 days they drifted, and many miracles took place during those days. Once a fish jumped right into the, to the boat. On another occasion, a cloud approached, and they watched it anxiously, hoping it would get close to them, and it, the wind changed direction, and it blew the other way, so they prayed. And the wind changed direction again, and it blew right back over them and, and uh, covered them in rain for a, a little while. After 26 days, they sighted an allied plane, and they were rescued. Sergeant Johnny Burtick later wrote these words about this experience. As soon as we were in the rafts at the mercy of God, we realized that we were not in any condition to expect help from Him. We spent many hours of each day confessing our sins to one another and to God. Then we prayed, and God answered. It was real. We needed water. We prayed for water. All we needed. Then we asked for fish, and we got fish. And we got meat when we prayed. Um, we, seagulls don't just go sitting on people's heads waiting to be caught. But that day the plane flew over. We all cried like babies. It was then that I prayed to God and said, if you'll send that one, that one back for us, I promise I'll believe in you and t- tell everybody else. That plane came back and the others flew on. It just happened. It did not. God sent that plane back. Lieutenant James Whitaker, co-pilot of the Rickenbacker plane, had this to say, For me, those blazing days represented the greatest adventure that man can have, the one in which he finds his God. We we met as strangers. I think my clicker thing might be low on battery. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh, indeed. We met as strangers in the watery wastes along the equator. We might have remained strangers as I was an agnostic, an atheist, if you will, but for my companions, I learned to pray. I saw prayer answered. My entire life has been changed by the events that began October 20, 1942. It is a day I will never forget, he said. Most people, including many Christians, don't know how to pray. One pastor of a fairly large church wrote this publicly. He said, I'm a minister, and I don't know how to pray. So how can I teach other people to pray? It's not like you can 
take prayer and put it under a microscope, you know, dissect it and put a piece of it under a slide so that you can see its details and examine it. It's not like you can put it in a test tube and weigh it and measure it, right? You can't do that. You can't examine prayer. So how do you know if you're, if you're praying right or if you're praying in a way that God's going to answer? Some people think that it's a special class of people that uh, will will have their prayers answered. You know, it's that, that certain kind of, of person who is um, lucky, or maybe they're the pastors, you know. Some people come and say, pastor, pray for me. I need your prayers. Well, I, I'm happy to pray for you. Um, you need the God of my prayers, just to be clear. <laughs> and God, he, he, does he answer your prayers too, or is it just mine? Is it just holy people that are just really special that God answers prayers for? Well, Jesus has a really clear answer to this question in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone, how many? Everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. This this means that, that it's not just the lucky ones that get their prayers answered. God promises that everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks has an open door anyone who asks receives. All right. Is this almost everyone? Just to be clear. You know, Jesus couldn't have been more clear that this applies to you if he put your name in it. Because if he put your name in it, you would say, oh, that's somebody else with my same name. Jesus made sure that you were included in this bunch. God will answer your prayers. That's the promise that Jesus has made. And still some people think that uh, even then, maybe, maybe God will only listen to some of our prayers. I mean, you know, some of our prayers He answers, but the, the other ones He just ignores. But the Bible says, the truth is in John 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's Jesus' promise. Now, pay attention to what he actually says. Whatever you ask, that doesn't mean that some of your prayers, whatever you ask, all of your prayers are included in this. And he says, and anything you ask in my name. And, uh, and it's, like it's, it's like God is giving you a blank check. Has anybody ever written a check and just said, here, you fill in the amount? I'd like that. I mean, if anybody wants to do that for me, I'd be happy to, to oblige you. <laughs> But it's as though God is doing that for us. Whatever you ask, he says, here's a blank check. Fill in the details. That sounds pretty exciting. Um, but, but you're thinking, well, it doesn't work for me. That might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. Is there something wrong with God's promise? No. No, nothing wrong with God's promise. Here's a short, a short uh, excerpt from the book Huckleberry Finn. Anybody read Huckleberry Finn? One of those books you read when you're a kid. Assigned reading and all, right? Let's see if I can get his accent right. I probably can't. Then Miss Watson, she took me in the closet and prayed. But nothing came of it. She told me to pray every day, and whatever I asked for, I would get. But it weren't so. I tried it. Once I got a fish line, but no hooks. It weren't any good to me without hooks. I tried for the hooks three or four times, but somehow I couldn't make it work. I sat down one time back in the woods, and I had a long think about it. 
I says to myself, if a body can get anything they pray for, why don't Deacon Wynn get back the money he lost on pork? Why can't the widow get back her silver snuff box that was stole? And why can't Miss Watson fat up? No, no, says I to myself, there ain't nothing in it. And if everybody who uh, agreed with Huckleberry Finn would have said amen at the same time, the world would hear a big noise because a lot of people feel that way about prayer. The reason it doesn't work isn't because God isn't doing his part, though. Um, the, The reason it doesn't work is usually because of us. And so I want to share some rock-solid Bible principles for having every one of your prayers answered. Do you think I might be be, uh, feeding you a line or giving you a gimmick? I'm not. Because if the Bible says it, we can believe it. So let's dive in. Let's look at some principles. The first one is a simple one. Principle one, pray in Jesus' name. Oh, this is what Jesus said about it. Um, now, now, first of all, before we, we um, read the Bible verse, does this mean that if we, um, if we just pray for anything they want, like, like um, for example, when I was a kid, a bunch of my neighbors had like three-wheelers and four-wheelers, or um, out in California, they call them quads. Um, so we, everybody had one, and I didn't, and I really wanted one. I thought it'd be cool to have one. So I prayed, Lord, please give me a four-wheeler. On another occasion, I prayed for a BB gun, and that didn't happen either. Um, and I prayed over and over and over again for these things, and I never got them. Um, but, but I added at the bottom of my prayer, I said, in Jesus' name, right? How many of you pray and say at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name? Does that mean that it's a legal contract, that because you said in Jesus' name, you signed it with Jesus' name, that, that God has to give you whatever you, you included on your list before you, you said that? No, that's not, that's not exactly what the Bible is meaning. There's a story from the time of Alexander the Great, and a young man was caught on guard duty sleeping. And if you're ever in the armed forces, you know that uh, it's not a good thing to be sleeping while you're supposed to be guarding your your fellow troops. In fact, at least in that time, I don't know about today, but at least in that time, it was kind of the thing that you, you got killed for, the death penalty. So they dragged this young man in front of Alexander the Great, the the um, conqueror, and Alexander says to him, is it true that you were sleeping on duty? What's your name? And uh, the young man saw a little bit of hope, and he says, sir, my name is Alexander, just like yours. And you know what Alexander said? Well, you you either better change your behavior or change your name. And that's kind of what it means to have Jesus' name. To pray in Jesus' name is, is to pray with a life that aligns with Jesus' life. Jesus said it this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And that's, that's one of the big, biggest concepts that we find in Bible prophecy, that we take God's name on ourselves. Remember Revelation chapter 14, the beginning parts of that talk about this group of people that follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and they have the Father's name written on their foreheads. And this is what the Bible is saying. When Jesus says, when you're praying in my name, when you've got my character in your heart, in your mind, then I'll do whatever you want, right? There's something about 
taking on God's name and saying, I want your character to be mine. I want my life to be lived in sync with yours. And when we do that, it, it, it not only changes how God responds to us, it changes how we interact with God. You see, prayer is less about trying to wrangle God like he's a wild stallion and you have to lasso him and pull him into your life. And and prayer is more about bringing our lives into alignment with His, drawing us to Him. So, principle one, pray in Jesus' name. Invite God to write His character in your mind. Principle number two, you have to pray in faith, which is the principle you find in the book of James, chapter one. And he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed with the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, so what is it, exactly does that mean? I mean, uh, it means that if you want your prayers answered, you better eradicate doubt from your mind, and you got to learn to trust Him. That's the, the simple thing. But what if you still have some doubts? What if that's a challenge for you? to really truly believe. How, how, do you, how do you get faith? If faith is necessary in order to have your prayers answered, how do you get faith? Well, first of all, the Bible says that faith is a gift from God. And there's a principle that Romans 10 tells us. We, this is how we get that faith from God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to grow your faith, if you want to grow your confidence and your trust in God, then you need to spend time in God's Word, and not just a cursory reading, not just a uh, glance at it every once in a while, but you need, to, you need to spend time and get intimate with God and figure out who is this God that wants me to trust Him? What is He like? What about Him is trustworthy? I mean, it's hard to trust somebody you don't know. Do you have something that's uh, expensive that you care about? Guys, do you have like a a, a nice truck or a, you know, a fancy motorhome or something, would you just let that, you know, let anybody uh, off the street drive it? Some 18-year-old kid that you've never met before, you don't know if the, the, the guy is, is trustworthy or not, he, he comes up and he says, hey, can I borrow your truck? What do you say? No, <laughs> because you don't know him. You don't trust him. And the same is true for God. If we don't know him, we won't trust him. And how do you get to know God? by hearing the Word of God, by spending time with God in the Bible, feeding on His Word. Fill your heart and your mind with what God has said, and and you'll begin to grow in your faith and your trust in Him. There's an old story of a tightrope walker, which you've probably heard before. It's a guy named Charles Blondin, and he walked across the Niagara Falls. Um, This is the Canadian side, the beautiful side. Um, and, and if you look at that, that's not a short distance across the, the, the chasm there, right? And if you fall, it's not comfortable at the bottom. There's pretty crazy water down there. So he, he walks across, and for days, people saw him going back and forth and back and forth, and he was pretty, pretty amazing. And he announced that, that he would be wheelbarrowing, like having a wheelbarrow and walk a wheelbarrow across. And I guess he, he took the, the rubber part off the wheel, so it was just, you know, the metal kind of rounded or whatever, and it would fit on the rope nicely. And uh, so it didn't seem like that big of a deal, but, but people were pretty excited. They got out there, and, and uh, so he, he looks around the crowd, and he says, what do you think? Do you think I can do this? Yeah, yeah, you can do this. And he says, do you think I can carry a man across in this? 
And they're like, yeah, yeah, you could do it. He points to a man. He says, do you think I can carry a man across in it? And the man says, yeah, yeah, I've seen you walk across this several times. I'm pretty confident you can. And he says, all right, will you, would you get in the wheelbarrow? And the man says, no, and starts backing up. Absolutely not, I'm not gonna. See, that's the difference between believing and having faith. <laughs> you can assent to something. Like, you can mentally say, yeah, that's probably true. But unless you, you, you base your life on it, you don't have faith. And that's what, what God says when he says to, to have faith. He wants us to step out. And sometimes it feels like we're stepping out into an open chasm with nothing to protect us. And the question is, do we trust God? Do we trust him with our lives, with our future, with our money? Do we trust him? And if you don't yet, then the answer is spend some time in God's word. Get to know this God who says, trust me, I've got your best interest in mind. Which brings us to the next principle. Principle number three is you've got to have a life of obedience. And this is where many people fall apart in their prayer life. We want stuff from God. We're like, God, would you please do this for me? God, would you please do that for me? God, would you please do this for me? God, would you please do that? And, uh, and when God says, hey, uh, Jason, would you please do this? You know what I say? Well, you know, I'm kind of busy. It's not really comfortable. No, it's not really the thing I want to do. I'd rather do it this way. No thanks, God. I still like doing this. I don't want to give that up, right? Should it work that way? Uh, No, no. The relationships are kind of two ways, aren't they? When we ask something from God, He is also asking something from us. And to ask us to follow Him in obedience is not too much, and it's not too difficult. We can do that if we simply choose to. And in 1 John 3, we find this support for that statement. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. That's super cool. Why? Because we keep His commands and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. In uh, Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus sent the church out to the world, He said, go into all the world. And and he, He says to baptize them, make disciples, but then he says, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. See, there's, there's a component of reciprocation, right? We don't just say, God, will you save us, which we should and we, and we do, and he promises that he will, but we also respond in love, in obedience. And keep in mind, keeping God's commandments can never save you. We are only and always eternally saved by Jesus' grace and his sacrifice on the cross. We are never saved by what we can do. But he does say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Follow me. Follow close after me. And if we don't do that, if we refuse to do that, then what we do is we create this wedge between us and God. The Bible says that sin separates us from God's throne So you've got to expect that if you're willfully sinning, if you're refusing to follow God in some way, that it's going to damage your relationship with Him. And that's going to make it more difficult for Him in answering your prayers. And this is something the psalmists taught very clearly. If I regard iniquity in my heart, and iniquity just means lawlessness. If I regard lawlessness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And it only makes sense. If you're not interested in a relationship with God, how can you expect to have a vibrant prayer life. And if that was, verse wasn't clear enough, Psalm 28, 9 says it this way, one who turns away his, his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, is an abomination. 
The reason that lots of prayers go unanswered is because our lives are filled with lots of unconfessed sins. And it shuts down the lines of communication between us and God. Remember, God is not going to force you into the kingdom. He's not going to twist your arm to get to heaven. If you refuse him, he's not going to force you. He's going to say, that's, that's too bad. I really love you. I really want you, but I'm not going to force you. And if we're demonstrating day in and day out that we want to live life our own way, then God's going to just, he's going to let us have what we're asking for. But we can't ask God to participate in that. We can't live a life of hedonism, just focused on our own pleasure, our own way, and expect that God is going to give us the things that we desire. He's not going to participate in that. So we've got, uh, we've got this relationship that we're talking about. Um, and, and that brings us to principle number four, which goes like this. We need to make things right with others. See, the relationship with God needs to be two ways, right? And, and it also needs to be uh, a loving relationship with others. Matthew 22 is uh, Jesus responding to a guy who says, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command, but the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to live in harmony with God, you also need to live in harmony with others. Anybody have a, uh, a chip on your shoulder? One of those people in your life that you just can't handle being around? Frustration and annoyance, a, a please don't uh, talk to me kind of relationship with somebody? Hmm, well, um, y- you'll notice what Jesus says about worshiping God at church yeah, while you, you have a grudge against somebody, and, and this one's kind of convicting for some of us. Matthew five twenty three and 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, this is not Jesus saying, hey, if you've got a grudge against somebody, then please don't come back to church. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you have a grudge against somebody, um, quickly go and solve the grudge problem and then come back to church, <laughs> right? And, and uh, it, it's, not, it's not saying that, um, that, that if somebody has a, a grudge against you, you can never come back to church either. Um, maybe that's one that they're going to keep a chip on their shoulder, but you shouldn't have one on yours. Try to make things right. Try to live at peace with other people is the idea. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to like what other people do. It doesn't mean that you have to open yourself up to abusive situations. That's not what God's point is here. It just means that uh, you need to be in a, an attitude of forgiveness and love and kindness towards others. And if you're not, then the Bible says that, that um, God can't hear you. Hmm. So principle number three. Oh, there there's this one old preacher who said this, to live with the saints in heaven, that will be glory. To live with them on earth, that's another story. (laughs) It's true. We're people, and we cause each other trouble. And we, we cause problems, and we hold grudges and stuff. And God asks us, let some of that go. Let all of that go. And, and just, live at peace as far as is possible with each other. Okay, so principle number three, live in harmony with God. Principle number four, live in harmony with others. And that brings us to principle number five, which is to pray according to God's will. And you find this in 1 John chapter 5, 14. 
And uh, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That, that little phrase, according to His will, is a pretty important phrase. Remember when Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer right before He goes to the cross. This is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where He says, Lord, I'd rather not do this, but not my will, your will be done. And He submitted Himself to God's plan, which is really the only wise thing to do. If you think about it, we could pray according to our will, but, but um, how often does that lead to disaster and not good for us? I mean, who knows? If God had given me that, uh, that four-wheeler back when I was a kid, I might not be standing here today. There, there was a time when uh, my wife was uh, playing on somebody else's four-wheeler, and she didn't she didn't have a lot of experience with it. She didn't know how to drive it exactly, and it was on a hill. And, and so she got sideways, and the thing rolled over on top of her, punctured a big hole in her leg, and thankfully, that's all it was. Um, who knows what would have happened? Only God knows why He didn't answer my prayer. And, and that's okay that He didn't answer that prayer because He sees the future. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Well, if that's the case, then I can bring my desires to God, but I also need to say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever been to a big city parade before? My wife and I took our kids. I don't remember if we had Maxwell then or not. I think we might have, tiny, tiny baby at the time. But we took, him, took them to a parade, a Christmas parade in the Seattle area, Bellevue, I think. And uh, it wasn't a huge parade, but it was big enough, and there was crowds along the streets, and, and uh, we got there a tiny bit late, and so we were in the, the second or third row, you know, we we're kind of looking at it through the cracks in, in the crowd, and uh, it was all right. Um, our kids got a better view. They, they went in front of uh, people and, and got there at the very front, but um, it was one of those things that, uh, well, it could have been better. Well, a friend of mine, he lives in Michigan and, and uh, not too far away from Chicago, and he took his wife one year. Um, on a, a special date, and he took her to uh, the Thanksgiving parade in Chicago. And this is a big deal. Uh, they've got a mile of, of uh, kind of a straightaway road, and there's big, big buildings in between. And, and um, he was going to go to the second story of this department store that, that offered to, to have a, a, a certain number of people, not a bunch, but a certain number of people at the, the second story window. And from there, you could see all the way from the beginning to the end of that mile stretch. You could see that whole thing. And he thought that would be an amazing date for his wife. Well, one thing led to another, and they were a bit late. And the second-story window was filled up, and so they went down to the street level. And by the time they got to the street level, they got a, a second or third row um, scenario. And so they were looking through the crowd like my family was. And, uh, and so they're, you know, they're, they're seeing stuff pass by. They've just got this narrow field of view. And, and it's, you know, some float goes by and they see the beginning and they see the middle and they see the end and then it's gone. And then something else happens and they see parts of a parade and they see parts, I mean, not parade, but a band. They see parts of a uh, dancing crew, etc. And um, they didn't know what was coming next and they had no idea what was happening after. And so one time they, the, the parade just stopped. Everybody stopped moving and just kind of marching in place for a little while. And what they didn't know and couldn't see was that just a little bit farther ahead, um, a band group that had just gone by, a couple of those 
um, those kids were dehydrated. And they, they were towards the end of their march, I think, and so um, they, they were getting tired, and two of them had collapsed. And so some medical professionals were racing out to help them, and, and that's what held things up. But they couldn't see that. All they could see was what was stopped in front of them. Do you ever have that experience in life? <laughs> I mean, you, you, I don't know about you, but I often forget the recent past, and uh, its lessons don't stick with me as long as they should. And uh, maybe you can, but I can't see the future. I have no idea what's coming down the road. And often we don't even know what happens as a result of the decisions and actions that we take, what impact they have on other people, what impact they have on our own lives. Sometimes we look back years later and realize that one decision set us on a path to where we are today, one decision. And the question you have to ask yourself is, can you trust yourself with the limited perspective on life that you have to make the right choices, to ask for the right things? I think not. But God is kind of like those people that sat on the second story window. They could see the end from the beginning. They know what's coming next. They know what happens after. That's what, that's what God sees in our lives. And so for us to come to Him and say, God, I need a fill-in-the-blank, or God, would you please, etc., then and then just expect that he's going to do exactly what we want. Well, not only is that a bit foolish, but it's quite a bit short-sighted. Wouldn't it be better to say, God, I think I need, and I think I would like, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that we can trust God to see the big picture and to answer our prayers, not, be, not, not based on our requests, but based on his great love for us. The Bible says that He loves us and that He's a good God. And so when I pray, I lay the problem in front of Him and say, the solution is up to you. Figure it out because I know you love me and I know you see the end from the beginning. And so sometimes God says yes, but as any good parent knows, He sometimes says no. And that doesn't mean our prayer isn't answered. It means that He's said no. Like the toddler who comes to the parent and, and uh, playing with a razor blade, right? The parent immediately takes that away and says, no, in very stern words, <laughs> because the parent knows the danger that's there, and the toddler has no idea. If you and I could see the end from the beginning the way that God can, then when we look at the choices, the things that, that, that he puts in front of us, the options, the opportunities that he gives us, the answers to prayer that he gives, we would never have it any other way. If we could see what God sees, we would say, that's the right decision, God. Thank you so much. And there's a group of people described in Revelation 15, and it says that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. These is a, this is a group of people that have gotten to look at the, the story and have gotten to see the choices that God has made. And, and they say, trust and true are your ways, O King of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments, your answers to prayer have been manifested. In other words, you've done the right thing, God. The famous preacher used to tell the story of a horrible disease that people would get in Brazil, and they called it savage fire. 
It was so bad that they, it, it stank really bad, and there was really no hope. There was no cure, and uh, they didn't even let people into the hospitals that had this disease. They would send them out, and um, it, they couldn't lay on regular beds with linens and stuff because the sores would would ooze and then harden and stick, and it'd be terrible. And so they put them on on banana leaves, and they laid them out in the forest to die. Well, his wife got this disease, and he took her to hospitals, um, went to the big city. Um, this is Pastor Barbosa, by the way. And uh, he, he took her to the, the city of Sao Paulo there in Brazil, and, and he tried to go to different hospitals and universities, and he tried to get help, you know, where's, where's the answer to this problem? And nobody had an answer, and she kept getting worse and worse and worse. They wouldn't let her in to their hospitals because they knew there was no hope. They knew that there was no cure. So finally she said, husband, I know my days are numbered. Please go get our kids, because he had taken her to the big city. Please go get the kids and bring them so that I can see them one last time before I die. He couldn't afford an airline ticket, a, a trip by, by train meant that he'd be sitting on a hard wooden seat for a long, long time, and it'd just take, maybe it'd be too late by the time he got back. Um, and so he prayed, and he got the idea to go to a, um, uh, a military Air Force base nearby, and just to see if he could catch a ride with somebody going towards where his house was, and, and he did. There was a small plane, and they said there was a seat for him. It'd be leaving in the morning, and uh, so it seemed like an answer to, to his prayers, but then the plans to catch the plane fell apart, and he struggled to understand why it happened. He missed his plane. He couldn't get on the, the seat, and, and they left without him. And, and he's just frustrated and, and a little bit upset, and he says, God, have you let me down? What's wrong? It was so important for him to get home quickly. Why wouldn't God help him? So he went to the railway station, purchased a second-class ticket, and that was, of course, the thing he didn't want to do, but he, he sat there, and he fell asleep, and then um, in, in spite of the hard seat, and eventually he, he woke up as the train slowed down and then came to a stop. What's happening, everybody was asking, and the news started to filter back to him that there was an accident. A plane had, had crashed on the railway tracks, and it uh, they, everybody was getting out and looking and stuff, and, and it was that very plane that he had scheduled to ride on. And he knew that, if, that, that God had actually saved his life by preventing him from getting on that plane. So praise the Lord. That was, that was wonderful. Well, he gets to the railway station at the other end where his home is, and he, he gets off. And, and at the moment that he stepped off, he sees this very strange sight. A woman is getting into a taxi cab, and she's covered in this black tar stuff all over her body, black tar, like, uh, like one of those charcoal face masks or something, and, uh, and, and she's covered in this, and he goes up to her and asks, what, what is going on? <laughs> and whatever the reason of his curiosity, he asks, and she says, well, didn't you know this is the, the cure for savage fire? Did you not know about it? No, he said, I don't know about it, and she sent him to uh, some uh, a, a guy out in the woods, uh, an old doctor in the jungle, who was curing savage fire patients. He got this elixir, this mix of stuff, and armed with that, he went back to Sao Paulo, where his wife was, and administered the treatment, and she recovered. If he had taken that plane, he'd be dead. 
If his train had not arrived at that precise moment, his wife would be dead. And now he could see that God knows what he's doing. And see, this is the thing about faith. When we pray in faith, it means I trust God that he knows what he's doing, and I'm going to trust him with my very life. You know, children, they don't always understand what their parents are doing. Um, Just the other day, I gave my, my kid an instruction to which they did not respond. And I raised my voice. You know what I was telling them to do? Well, they were driving down the road in the very middle of the road as a car was coming down. And I said, get to the side of the road. It happened to be a police car even. (laughs) Get to the side of the road. Didn't respond. To the side of the road. Hurry. (laughs) Why Why do parents give advice? Why do we give commands? Why do we require obedience? Because it's for our kids' good. And when you and I fully trust God, when we choose to believe that He knows what He's doing, that He has our best interest in mind, then we're going to thank Him for the answers He chooses to give to our prayer requests. And His promise is in Romans 8, 28, is that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, you'll notice it doesn't say all things are good. You'd think that everything in a chocolate cake is good because a chocolate cake is good. But have you ever tasted raw cocoa powder? Ugh, that stuff is nasty. How could that make anything good? And yet, our lives, God wants to make something good out of, and sometimes it requires a bit of bitter experience. Sometimes the things that God allows in our lives, the answers to prayers, when we pray for healing and sickness comes, when we pray for financial success and we lose when we pray for good things and tragedy strikes, we might think that God is not paying good care, not taking good care of us, not paying attention to our prayers. But that's not true. Sometimes the mix of our lives needs something that we don't understand at the moment in order for something beautiful to come from it. I'm not saying that God causes death and problems and abuse. I'm not saying that all those things are are from His hand. But God he says that he's powerful enough and creative enough and capable enough to take the bitter experiences of our lives and to make something beautiful with them. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't allow things in our lives that he can't turn into beauty. Not everything is good in our lives. But if you trust God, he can make the bad stuff good anyway. And so, don't be afraid to tell God your plans, to lay out all your desires in front of Him, and to say, please, God. Don't be afraid to ask God for help. But at the same time, do what Jesus said and says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I love to read the stories about George Mueller. I read about him first when I was a kid, one of these missionary storybooks written just for, for um, early readers. And George Mueller is one of these guys, he said, I'm not going to ask anything, any any." thing from anybody. I'm just going to ask from God and let him provide it. Because the Bible says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That's the promise that he claimed over and over again. There's a a story of him running orphanages. He had, over his lifetime, thousands and thousands of children, and he did it all by faith. And the the story goes that um, he had a visit from a, a lady named Abigail Townsend, 
And as she walked through the orphanages one morning, the children were ready for breakfast. The, the tables were set, the children were sitting, and they, they sat down to pray, but there was no food on the table and no food coming out of the kitchen. And they sat down to pray, and uh, she, asked where, she asked Mueller where the food was, and he said, well, we don't have any yet, but the Lord will provide. And uh, then he turned to the children and said, children, let's ask the blessing on the food. And they prayed, dear Father, thank you for the food that we are about to receive, even though we don't know where it's coming from but we know that you'll provide. And just then there was a knock on the door and it was a local baker. He says, I couldn't sleep last night. I was impressed at 3 a.m. to get up and to make some, some bread for you guys. Do you need some bread? And so sure enough, they did and they, they willingly took the bread. And no sooner than he'd, they'd closed the door on him than another knock. And it was, it was the, the, the milkman. He says, my cart broke down just a block or so away, and uh, I can't deliver my milk this morning. Could you use some? I don't want it to go to waste. And so they had milk and bread that morning. And that, that's the way that George Mueller from Bristol uh, lived his life every day. One, one time he was traveling um, by ship to Canada, and there was this thick fog that settled over the Atlantic, and they couldn't continue their journey uh, for the danger of what might be there. And as they drifted for days... George Mueller spoke to the captain. He says, look, I've got an appointment in Canada this weekend. I need to get there in time. Um, is there anything you can do? How many ship captains would like to have control over the weather? Well, what do you expect me to do, Mr. Mueller? I'm as anxious to get there as you are, but I can't control the fog, the captain says. Well, I can pray, Mueller said. So they went into the, the, the chart room and they prayed. And the, the captain later told the people, Mr. Mueller talks to God like a friend. You can sense the presence of God in that room. It seems like he's right there. Mr. Mueller prayed, Lord, you know I have to be in Canada to do, to do your work, so please lift the fog, and I thank you for hearing my prayer. And that was it. And when Mueller finished his prayer, the captain asked, do you want me to pray? And Mueller said, no, no, thank you. <laughs> I mean, first of all, um, your prayer wouldn't do any good because you don't really believe. And secondly, I'm pretty confident that God's already answered my prayer. Let's go out and look. And so they did. They went outside and they looked. And what do you think they saw? The fog had lifted and he was able to make his appointment. I believe in a God who answers prayer. The answers might not always be what we want or what we expect or in the time that we expect them, but I believe in a God that answers prayer, every one of them. And I believe it because he said he does. And, and not just for me, but for you as well. And if you would just put your life in his hands, completely give your life into his hands, you're going to discover that he really does answer your prayers, and he really does care about you.